my theory is you start the recording immediately and then every once in a while you'll have gold so serendipity all right well i'm recording now that's good is that good enough i'm is that nothing i do is ever good enough for you <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully we think of ourselves in a growth mindset <laughs> i learned that from the first episode of fun fact <laughs> did you yeah that we have a growth mindset and that we want to get critical feedback oh, yeah I forgot about that. It's been so long. I know. It was it was a long time ago. It was a really long time ago. Yeah. You went to Disneyland? I went to Disneyland. Yeah. It was great. I yeah. was pretty worried. We have a two-year-old. I'm aware. And you kind of think of a two-year-old as being more of a liability in Disneyland than like in, you know, a multiplier of fun. <laughs> sure. But we were able, she's young enough that we could just kind of this is generally true for at least our two-year-old is you can just kind of make rules and then just tell her that's the way the world is. Like, uh, we would go on Peter Pan, which is, you know, a well-made ride, but it has like an hour long wait sometimes. Yeah. And so you go on Peter Pan and she says again, and you're like, Oh no, actually, you know, we already did that, but you know, what we can do something else. And she's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my niece who's, you know, almost three that she went to Disney world, which I've never even been to with her, uh, grandparents for like a week and apparently it went very well so um you know i think it's fun i think i i'm looking forward to taking her to disneyland when i think she's old enough to remember it yeah definitely she was in the this is mostly for the parents age in that right yeah there's no way she'll remember it too but then you get the pictures and you can say that you took her and you know she can feel good about the idea of having gone totally yeah uh and you didn't you know the parents are okay you made it out alive we survived and we went with another couple and they had like a one-year-old oh. baby so we could take turns, you know, hand off, do a baby swap. Sure. Get a little adult time at the park. Exactly. I'm not implying it. I just mean, you know, you just adults. There is adult time at California Adventure across the way from. Oh, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> they sell beer. They do. They vastly do. improving. It's true. No, no, no. It definitely experience. improves the entire experience. Anything you... Any adult behavior you engage in at Disneyland improves the experience. It's true. Well, there's a limit, but yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's a limit because of propriety and Laws. legality and yeah. and things like that. But if they, but if you could get away with it, it would improve your experience. I mean, why not? It would let's improve your experience. I mean, it's just like just being honest. Just being honest. <laughs> I'm just I'm just being honest. Yeah, I think if if you say I'm just being honest, I think you can get away with a lot of things that you might say. Oh yeah, I mean also. Uh, can I be frank or yeah. or any of those sort of... <laughs> or no disrespect. The things that imply that you're normally lying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ordinarily, everything I say is complete nonsense. But right now, one time only. I'm just going to tell the truth here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm just going to say what we're all thinking. It's like, is that what we're all thinking? Because I think you sound like a jerk. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. There's a certain little yellow flag statement. Actually, you know, one of the big ones for me is listen. If somebody says listen. <laughs> listen. You got to listen. Yeah, right? If you're having a conversation and someone's like, listen. Well, and then they say anything after that, it's almost yeah. always bad. Do you know what I'm trying to stop doing? What's that? I'm trying to stop saying you have to, you know. Mm, and mm. I'm just like, you don't have to. You just, you just got to. I'm like, no, no, you don't have to. Like, I'll say that all the time. I'll be like, you have to just believe me or you have to just... Just think about it this way, and then I'm like, you don't have. I want you to do that. Yeah, but you really <laughs> but don't have to. You don't. Uh, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, unless you have direct reports now. If you're people's boss, then they maybe do have to. But well, they still don't have to. They could just quit. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot. I mean, it's probably more in the zeitgeist at my work because we have a kind of you know, as you know, kind of a goofy way of doing things. But uh, are we allowed to say where you work, or is that top secret? I have no idea. Let's do some uh, research for now. Yeah. For now, we'll keep at no, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's don't have to edit I just, this out. I don't, I just, but our work somewhere where sometimes there's, there's high pressure and not everyone put that in the show. Yeah. Not everyone makes it through to the other side. That is, that is very true. Uh, but you are encouraged to understand that, you know, you, there will be consequences for every, whatever you do, but they're your consequences. Yeah. Like you, you kind of make your own path. Yeah, idea. you can do whatever you want. You're just going to have to deal with whatever happens next. I get the sense that Amazon has some of that kind of feeling, too. Oh, I don't want to be compared to Amazon. Oh, <laughs> God. What a... Everything I've ever heard. What a trash fire. Those jackasses. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a nice place to work. But, you know, I, I feel like uh, in recent 
month, uh, I have come to the conclusion that I really think you can't make any assumptions based on like articles coming out about what it's like to work at big companies. Cause for one thing, whoever wrote the article usually has an agenda. And then the other thing is that, uh, who they're talking to definitely matters a lot. And then the third thing is most big companies, uh, are not one experience. They're like 50 experiences depending oh, yeah. on, or an experience depending on what team you're on and what you're saying. Didn't we say, Oh, we said no programming was a banned topic. We didn't say mm-hmm. work. Yeah. We're in dangerous. We're in dangerous territory, but yeah. we're on the border. We're on the yeah. good side of the border, but you know, you just, it really depends so much on which part of the company you're in and what team you're on and who your manager is and whatever you're doing, whatever, whatever, whatever. People really want to think of big companies as monolithic, like Apple decided to remove the headphone jack as if like Apple is right. this like spherical mind that's been built to like just meditate and then output decisions. Right. You know, as opposed to like, you know, there was a long debate um, among multiple teams with opinions over years and then eventually settled on a plan as a trade-off, you know, but that they're like, you know, they've come to it with great thought and that 90 something percent of the people in the company didn't even know that the decision had been made until it was announced, you know? I think that's the one thing about, about Apple specifically is like, they're so secretive even internally that like most people at the company have no idea that anything is happening until it's announced. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, are we allowed to say that, are we allowed to talk about your, well, I, I don't work there anymore, so I can. Okay. So you used to work. Well, I mean, my NDA is probably still true, but But you, you can, we can say that you used to work there. Yeah. I'm not worried about being fired. On account of having left, <laughs> can ago. you be time machine fired? I mean, I think there is a certain level where you get sued, but that, like, as far as I know, they're not suing Ken Kosienda, who like worked on the iPhone and then wrote an entire book about it. So, I think, yeah, if he, I think if, I'm okay. If, on if Ken's podcast. all right, you're probably all right. Our re- listenership is pretty high now. Uh, I was looking at the stats, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, so we may make you know CNN or something with with some of my comments, but. You know, we just got, that's just what, the price we pay for popularity. All of, all of this discussion is in lieu of the fact that we don't have any, uh, feedback yet because we haven't released any episodes yet. I used to, I worked, I worked with Ken, I'm pretty, by the way, like a long time oh, ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. A long time ago. I, I've heard that he, uh, from someone else who had worked with him, that he, uh, the fact that he's written a prickly book about that's opinionated and causing other people to be prickly is not surprising from his style. <laughs> <laughs> no comment on no that. comment excellent <laughs> take that as a yes <laughs> no that means i i couldn't quote i couldn't i couldn't say you couldn't say if he was frankly i couldn't say i, I wouldn't and couldn't say i know mm, i couldn't say you wouldn't well, i was. wouldn't and couldn't uh, i think that's a dr seuss book <laughs> i wouldn't say in a car i wouldn't say even far i wouldn't say where you are etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, <laughs> feedback has been great. We've gotten so many messages about the, the first episode, which we've totally already posted and you all love it. And we're a sense we're a sensation. Yeah. As we record, um, that is live and you know, our fame is now kind of cemented in the podcast hierarchy, but we're going to keep on going. You know, we're not just going to retire off the success of that first episode. We're going to keep no. on rolling. But if, if folks have even more feedback, in addition to the the huge amount of we would love we to got, hear it we'd love to hear it and we have funfact.fm and on twitter at funfact.fm yeah do you have any feedback for us do i have feedback for us yeah um yeah well, like i said i we recorded that first episode as a test I, I think my main thing is you and i haven't actually talked about it yet since we recorded but we've like kind of edited it is like when i'm listening back sometimes i think i feel like i'm like we're mansplaining to each other and I'm not sure if that counts <laughs> if we're both men, but like <laughs> there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of like, oh, but no, actually, you, you well, know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a difficult topic for you and me to talk about. Yeah, well, that's all explained to everyone with the experience of mansplaining. But so my question is, if you and I, is there a difference between mansplaining and just being an, a, a know-it-all? <laughs> yeah which is what we just kind of are right I mean, you you and i are like bum, bumbling know-it-alls like i think that i will just speak for you because that's less like arrogant uh, i will say that i think you just you you don't you in no way intend to be condescending to anyone but you know a lot about a lot of things and you're a little bit bumbling and so you i guess i should have talked about myself not you right that's the way to not be <laughs> not to presumably i'm just gonna insult you instead of me no i think that's a true description though 
like I feel I feel like a bumbling. I feel like I know some things, yeah, but I feel like very true. Um, the thing that if, <laughs> if we have you know to all of our tens of thousands of of women that are listening yeah. um, to this episode, uh, or anyone if they have any input as to to ways that are. A way of describing things or tone or whatever if it's if it's distasteful in any way in our either coming off as condescending or whatever then just uh send us a an email or or tweet or whatever about like you know what it you know whatever i understand the show is about explaining things and talking about things but this particular passage or uh turn of phrase or whatever is particularly gross or whatever then yeah uh, yeah we'll improve i think that's a really really good point because uh one of the things I think is is a problem it t- it today uh, in the world is that uh, people are more worried about uh, labels uh, than they are about behavior. And so uh, it's more upsetting to be called a mansplainer than to acknowledge the fact that you were mansplaining. Well, I mean, that's a problem like that. That labeling people versus behavior is like a long time uh, approach to getting people to actually absorb what you're saying. And it's, you know saying hey this behavior was that labeling behavior as opposed to labeling people is uh, helpful no yeah that's that's my point is that we want we sincerely do not want to be mansplaining and so if we are mansplaining we would like you to tell us and we're not afraid of being told that uh for, because we because we want to know because we don't want to do it yeah yeah that's what i meant so yeah any feedback uh Keep, keep keep it coming. Keep it coming. Oh, yeah, we you know, we, we love have it. tens of thousands of emails in our inbox, but uh, we'll get to them eventually. <laughs> we'll get to them eventually. It might take a while. Yeah. So, Alan, would you like me then to tell you a fun fact? Hit me. All right. Fun fact: the term paparazzi isn't just an Italian loan word; it has an original namesake. So there was an original paparazzo. There, there was an original. Nice job on the understanding of Italian. That paparazzi would be <laughs> plural and paparazzo would be singular. We've now exhausted my entire. Is that all of your Italian? <laughs> That's like eighty percent of it. So uh, as I, I'm, I believe you know, I like to watch old movies and uh, think about them and then and then write about them. And I was watching a, a nineteen sixty Federico Fellini film called La Dolce Vita, and there was a character in the film whose name was Paparazzo. And I was like, that seems kind of random. And the character in the film was a very, very aggressive, amoral photographer. And I was like, that's so crazy. Like, he just named it after that. And then I looked it up and found out that, no, that's why we called them paparazzi. Because that movie was so popular that it became the term for this particularly annoying uh, photographer. And and then I was like, well, where did he get the name? Because right, that's the next place my mind went. I was like, okay. That's cool. Where did that come from? And I found out that the the character of Paparazzo in the movie was inspired by an actual uh, photojournalist who had a very cool Italian name that I would butcher if I tried to say it. Um, but that that guy, but that it was a combination of like that guy who Fellini was like learning about tabloid journalism from just by like buying him dinner and like asking him for like you know crazy war stories and stuff. But that it's a combination of that and then the name comes from this uh, book where there's a character named that based on the word for a buzzing mosquito in Italian. It's, it's interesting that you describe, you describe a journalist, like a photojournalist, and something clicks in my brain. I was like, oh, yeah, paparazzi were originally photojournalists, and they've diverged so much that my mind doesn't even classify them as the same occupation. Like, Oh, really? Like. Well, just because I think of a photojournalist and I think of like National Geographic or someone's going oh, to Syria reputable. documenting, right? Like automatically a reputable thing. Yeah. Whereas I think of a paparazzi and it's like, <laughs> I just don't, like my brain doesn't even think of it as the same category of thing as a journalist because it, in, in my mind, it's so much about just trying to like snipe uh, sensational images and then sell them for the high, highest price like it seems so divorced from trying to tell a story and document reality for the purpose of of uh you know journalism and free press and all that kind of stuff like that although of course like really ideally a paparazzi photo does tell a story like especially if it's like oh this celebrity is currently you know having this situation and this photo is them in the middle of doing something that relates to that um, but I, I, I essentially, I, mean, I don't even think of them that way anymore. Yeah. So that is super interesting. It's, it's crazy because like the, the idea, I mean, the word, like I said, comes from this movie from 1960, but the concept of like photographers and journalists, quote unquote, 
uh, being all up in the business of people who for no uh, journalistic value, right? For, for only for sensationalism, just to sell more papers, just for like the, the Buzzfeed, you know, clickbait of their day, um, is not new and is not even from like the sixties. I mean, I've, I've seen articles from the New Yorker from like the, the twenties where people are saying, you know, why does the, where there's, they're railing against this idea and saying, why do they, why do these journalists believe the public has a quote unquote right to know or these days they say a need to know you see all these articles that are like the five yeah. facts you need to know yeah. about this basketball player's wife and i'm just like there is zero facts I'm pretty sure i don't need to know any facts about yeah. that <laughs> there are zero facts that i need to know there might be many facts that i want to know or i'm interested in knowing i mean but this is like a concept that you know we were talking about earlier about your 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 small child <laughs> the idea of like need versus want is such a um crazy one but to, to have these these and in the movie the this character is extremely like i said amoral and aggressive in their photographying it's really just because there's like a huge group of these young men uh, all young men in the movie who are competing for these photos much like i think there are in real life and it's just like who gets that shot to sell you know that's their that's their money right that's their business there's no there's no humanity or or human reality to it which to your point is very different than the image of uh, that. Do you ever see the the documentary uh, War Photographer? No, I think that's what it's called. It is phenomenal. I'm going to try to look it up while we're talking about. It. It's really depressing, but it's a yeah, it's a documentary from uh, 2001 about a uh, specific war photographer whose name I I don't remember, uh, and it just traces him going to different places and just the sadness and kind of intensity of his life in some way, and also the the reality of, of documenting something versus then, you know, becoming a part of it in some fashion. Yeah. The entire like journalism and how it works is one of those things. If you don't look at it too closely, you probably have a, a optimistic view of it and how, um, even at relatively reputable, um, places that like, Oh, okay. Well they come up with this story or they, they find not come up with, but like they're tasked with, okay, learn about this thing. And then they go learn about the thing and then they report what they find, you know, in the way that you sort of would, you would have it mocked up. But, um, so much of what actually in practice happens, especially nowadays, but really for a long time, what are the realities of, okay, well, we need to get something that is interesting enough or, or engaging enough on a certain deadline and under certain constraints with certain resources means that you end up with someone going in and, for example, saying, oh, okay, well, I heard from the security researcher that uh, there could be uh, secret uh, chips in the servers oh, right. of uh, various tech companies, <laughs> right? And then they dig a little more and it's like, oh, it looks like there might be something to this. And so they... yeah do something like, all right, give me, can you give me two months to go do a bunch of research and report this headline story that's going to get us Ulster's attention? And someone says, okay, you can research this story about chips and servers. And then um, that person is really motivated to publish a story at the end saying that there really are chips in people's servers, even if, you know, the actual sources don't, you know, prove it in a court of law, so to speak, that this is really actually a thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's uh, but I, and also that, like I said, this idea that 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 they're co- covering something, but then they're also in, involved in it in some fashion, and the denial of that involvement. Like if you are harassing people with your camera, on the one hand, like as a paparazzi, you know you're you're involved in the experience that person's having of you harassing them. But also, if you're covering a war, there's another documentary called Camera Person, which is a little newer and maybe a little easier to find, where the the woman who she's a documentary filmmaker and she took all this footage from documentaries she had made and made a documentary with that footage and at one point she's talking about how she goes into these crazy places and meets all these people who are in serious need but then she gets to go home yes and she doesn't have to she doesn't she doesn't have to solve their problems and she doesn't solve their problems and she just kind of convinces herself she's doing something useful by filming them but at the same time she's become a part of their lives in some fashion but at the same time can just walk away i've been fascinated by the role of journalists in the Vietnam documentary that's now on Netflix, the Ken Burns. Oh, which is called yeah. Vietnam uh-huh. War. I haven't seen it, but yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. It's long, but it's good. And it's, I mean, it's Ken Burns, famous documentary uh, filmmaker. But he um, has all sorts of stuff that I, as somebody who grew up after Vietnam, um, 
I haven't seen how much like there was a lot of journalists on the ground because that was before they realized that journalists can uh, really change public opinion about a war. Yeah, they didn't. They were not media savvy at the time. No, the military was not media savvy, and so and TV was exploding, and so they had journalists everywhere. And there was a lot of journalists that were doing like a lot of journalists were were wounded and died, and there's a lot of journalists that were you know there's just like uh, helicopters going up, and they're like okay we're going in. There's this dangerous you know there's this firefight or whatever and the journalist jumps on there and he's like all right well let's see what's happening so journalists getting shot at journalists getting shot um and then they're reporting back like hey this uh sounds so great um (laughs) (laughs) but it's kind of fascinating this sucks (laughs) yeah a what can happen if there's just like a sort of carte blanche that journalists can go wherever they want and it turns out they report on everything including some of the things that people in power don't want reported on which is kind of the point um but the other is also then at some level they start end up getting part of the story right where it's like hey i got shot or someone got shot and i actually was trying to help them or you know like the fact that i was here i'm taking up some spot on a helicopter or whatever like you know they start actually affecting the story kind of like if you've seen or have you listened to serial no i mean i'm very familiar with it but no i have not listened to it um the idea is obviously going through story part by part um over and the new the third season uh it's actually i think most of the way out right now um i've been working through the third season um they go into um the uh, criminal justice system um, in Ohio, um, and they they get actually like you know quite deep into all the various level, layers. But something that's interesting about it is that if you're going to spend an entire year in amongst these cases and work and talking to these people, you know it's a little difficult not to kind of get sucked into you know changing the story a little bit when it's like for example okay there's this judge that wants to read this case or this lawyer wants to litigate something and they're like who's that oh that's a journalist from serial which is a podcast you've heard of that has a million listeners and it's like "Mm, can we actually just adjourn this (laughs) oh really wow yeah so it's interesting that you end up actually kind of shredding or screwing up the thing you're trying to observe sometimes as a journalist well you know it's it's physics anything you observe you affect right supposedly uh, all that quantum stuff uh, (laughs) you're not you're not sold i don't know i don't know (laughs) need a little more evidence yeah well i mean i didn't seem smart but were we talking about mansplaining earlier (laughs) okay look 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 i figured out quantum i figured out quantum physics okay here's the thing Atoms are just like a donut, and the electrons are like raisins yeah. in the donut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love oh, it. Oh, man. That's great. Speaking of journalism, a fun fact that I learned today is that you can just like send an editorial to most newspapers, and they'll actually like consider publishing it. Wait, say that again? So most newspapers have like their editorial board, or if a smaller local newspaper, just like editor that writes editorials but then they have like this op-ed page which is a term that i'd heard a lot of times but i and even actually used in the last episode i used the term op-ed but i realized i didn't actually know what op-ed meant it's like uh the definition of the term even is like the opposite of the editorial page and it's like the page where we like print stuff that just people wrote that says whatever it says and we just have a big thing that says opinion Alan Pike thinks that all elephants are orange. And then it's like, they just, I mean, hopefully they try to vet it a little bit, but they're not doing necessarily like fact checking and stuff. They're just kind of editing for uh, formatting and things like that. And so if you go to the New York times and you don't have inside sources there, you can't just like cold email them a, a piece that you've written and said, Oh, please publish this. Um, but for most local newspapers, you can, and they do. And a decent amount of their, content especially online sometimes in print as well comes from people just writing in and like people who are maybe connected to some sort of interest group or have a axe to grind or want to run for the next election but it's not election period yet um so they can get away with it and they write an opinion piece which is like oh why this thing is good or bad um and uh and yeah and they end up publishing them on the newspaper on the newspapers which i didn't i learned today when i was talking to somebody 
who is in a certain advocacy group for housing here in Vancouver. Um, and she was like, oh, I'm writing an editorial for this newspaper. I'm like, oh, like, what was your contact? Like, why did they ask you to write that? She's like, oh, no, no, I just like write it and I send it to them. And, you know, often they'll they'll publish it. <laughs> so, like, you, uh, so you thought that all uh, you thought that all content in the newspaper was was um, sought after as opposed to as opposed to uh, submitted. Yeah, well, I know that there's like letters to the editor, and that's like oh, okay. Thing. So you knew that that was I knew letters to the editor. Okay, but I assumed if it's someone said like opinion or like that they had hired you to write an opinion that they had paid somebody or the minimum for their opinion, like sought them out and been like you know, or there was some back channel where it's like yeah. okay, you know, if Barack Obama wants to write a thing in the New York Times and it says opinion. Here's why America is something, something. They'll let him then do they're it. they're going to give him that spot. Yeah. They would be like, oh, Alan Pike, man about town. Would you please tell right. us about, you know, whatever. Had there something going on with the gas clock or whatever, you know, steam clock, yeah. gas clock, steam clock. The steam clock. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, showing off my, my minimal Vancouver knowledge. We have a steam powered clock. It's pretty Vancouver. cool. It's very, very important. Well, the, the natural follow up question to your story is, are you now going to submit an op-ed to the paper? obviously <laughs> what would it be about oh i didn't mean i i can explain in anything i think you should become one of those people who's like always I'm confident and a little clueless yeah exactly i think exactly i think you should start being one of those people listen you listen <laughs> here's the here's the thing you got to know about dingbats like you know those people who are like actually writing letters in because the product they didn't do what they wanted the people who have time to like write about issues to the paper i think that should be you I think that the the in the past it was kind of like I knew that you could write for free for like you know these buzz BuzzFeed style okay. blogs and things like that and like uh, Business Insider is the horrible one that like Business it's just Insider a cesspool or, yeah Business Insider is it's not it's not real people it's not people being paid well there's some people being paid but it's like oh. or a uh, Forbes uh, is kind of like that now where like it's just like they just want the cheapest possible content in the highest possible quantities. And like, if you just like, if your goal is like, I want to get a thing published on this website, then it's just like very, very kind of like, Oh, you'll do it for free. Oh, okay, great. And then the, it's very like ramp you on to getting it posted as opposed to, um, sort of more selective outlet. So I've always been kind of aware, uh, that if you are willing to write stuff for free, you can get it published in places. It's just the idea that a newspaper, like something that has a print arm, yeah, would would do that um like the vancouver sun is like the local vancouver like okay newspaper um you know it's a newspaper it's not like fa fancy fancy it's just vancouver mm -hmm. but the that somebody was talking about like oh yeah you can just send an unsolicited editorial and so the reason that that came to me is like oh maybe that's something actually maybe worth doing is it if there wasn't something that i had an opinion about that i felt like was maybe not getting well argued in the press about something that was a, a local issue like you know, housing or zoning or or something, maybe something political, maybe it's just something that my personal blog is not necessarily, you know, A, going to have a big audience of people overall, but especially of people in Vancouver, most of the people who read it are, you know, wherever they are in the world, that it's like, oh, hey, if I actually, my purpose of writing this is not just for the sake of this, I think is personally interesting, but I want to actually try and maybe expose people to an idea that... Yeah, I could see it myself. Well, I think you definitely should do Doing that. Do some research. I wonder, though, if we, if we are like the last generation who would have that kind of idea that somehow print newspapers were like somehow more real or on a different standard than something like BuzzFeed. I, I think oh, these days. Yeah, it's wouldn't... a bad idea. <laughs> like, There's no reason to think that it being a print newspaper makes it more important. That's just the way my brain is like slightly broken from being. No, but it makes sense because it's like they 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 printed it. Yeah, they killed trees. They, they they had to they had to pay to print this. Ink was used. Trees were used. Mm -hmm. They had to set the letters on a type. They had to use uh, what what was that old uh, page page editing app Quark or whatever they had to use that and the, you know all these things. Like it was a lot of work. I mean, I don't know. I bet. Did you ever work for? Uh, I, I wrote for my college newspaper. Did you ever? I wrote for a college newspaper. Yeah. So it's like I remember watching them like set up the issues and stuff, and it just seemed like a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. And I think that like the fact that it's associated with print is just kind of emotionally feels important. But it's also the fact that to me, if I'm trying to make a point that is local and has some sort of like effect on decision making at a, at a legislative level whether it's like a city level or the province or something that 
And for, for better or for worse, like most of the people who are voting and affecting these things are older, and most of them are not like reading my tweets, right? Like they're <laughs> reading the newspaper still. Sadly. Even if they're reading it online. Read right? Alan's um, tweets, everybody. They're pre- yeah, all the all the older Vancouver voters are that are listening to our podcast, please read my tweets yes. and you can see the clear reasons why, you know, we need <laughs> more housing options for Vancouver <laughs> or whatever. We love you. Um yes, thank you for listening. Um <laughs> Please send feedback. the The idea of being able to reach people outside of my bubble, though, is is appealing in certain circumstances. Totally, because it's very, very, very easy to just collect a little bubble of a hundred people that you know that mostly have the same opinions as you, probably look like you, probably share a lot of opinions with you already, and you just be like, "Oh my god, can you believe blah?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, blah." Like star, star, retweet, retweet, and you're just all like basically just echoing to each other well don't even worry about it because twitter is going to remove the ability of people to like your things anyway so it's not <laughs> even we don't even have to worry about this. i saw that yeah, yeah. that's that was one of those very helpful <laughs> yeah that was one of those stories where i had like i saw the headline which is like twitter is removing likes and i'm like no they're not that's <laughs> no they're not doing that like I know, like, it's just, that's such a sign of Twitter that you would, yeah. people would believe they screw up their products so badly that they would remove likes entirely, just unilaterally. Yeah. Um, but the reason that I know they won't remove likes is because it helps them a lot <laughs> to know what people are interacting with and then therefore what to promote. And so um, it's, they can't remove likes, but reading what Jack actually said about likes and, and the problem on Twitter, it actually hit on something that, uh i've talked about with my team at work a few times we talk about social networks and like how could they be less bad and one of the problems is if the only way you can measure an interaction with something is that somebody is basically saying plus one right they're just saying heart and that's all they can say about it then you're not necessarily observing anything about why or how or how people feel about that and so if it's like uh an angry like like yeah like get him or, you know, that kind of sentiment that's different than someone just being like, oh, that made me happy. Or like, you know, I'm I'm trying to communicate to somebody solidarity uh, or something like that. And so if you could give somebody a little more, which Facebook has done um, to a, a kind of a simple level, which is giving you five or six reactions. And Slack has gone to the ridiculous and awesome level of giving you every single emoji as a reaction. <laughs> Yeah. Um, to me, that's, um, I mean, there's obviously a whole bunch of trade-offs of just saying, instead of likes, we have an entire emoji picker every time we want to react to a tweet. Um, but to me, that opens a, opens a lot of opportunity for Twitter to do something like, hey, instead of just multiplying every tweet someone interacts with, maybe people are interacting with things in a toxic way, maybe get some signal out of different types of interactions, um, which is, I think, the motivator for Facebook having done the same thing. Well said. So... Here's a unrelated fact for you. This is a fun fact. Are you prepared? I am prepared. I've battened down the hatches. Okay. Lay it on me. Uh, the, the, the logo for the Alfa Romeo car company includes a snake eating a baby. No. I, can you picture? So do you know the Alfa Romeo car company? I am aware of it. It's not super popular in Canada, but I know I've seen seen them around. And I like if I imagine the logo, I think of like kind of like a coat of armsy sort of. There's a shield or something, and there's some stuff. And a snake sounds right, but I, <laughs> I wouldn't. If you'd asked me what what is on that logo, I would not have said a baby is being eaten. I'm going to paste a picture of the logo into the chat that we have, and you you can click on it and lo- load it up because I want you to be able to see it. Okay. 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 I see. I've. I've. Okay. All right. I see how this would have lasted longer than it should have, considering what it depicts. Right. So what I'm looking at is the snake, and there's something coming out of his mouth. Which, if you're not looking too closely, you would say, "Oh, that snake has a very baby-like tongue." Yeah. No. So you think that, but it in fact is a baby. So, so let's let's get let's get into this. So I I I noticed this and I was like, what the heck is going on with this logo? It's a very weird logo, right? So I wanted to learn more about this, and so I did some research as we are wont to do on this show, and the I learned some things about Alfa Romeo. Now Alfa Romeo was a was they were in the U.S. and then they weren't for a really long time, but right now they're kind of having a 
resurgence with the uh, the Julia. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's kind of a, a big moment for them. I see them all the time in the, in the Bay Area, especially. And so I, I, I did a little Googling. And what I learned was that, first of all, I learned that the uh, company is called Alfa Romeo because it was a combination of Alfa, which was like this uh, acronym for... Uh, anonymous Lombard Automobile Factory, which is kind of cool, and Romeo. Anonymous? Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't. I couldn't find out. I thought that was like a more of a modern. N- thing. No, it was in is in Italian, but it was anonymous, and I don't know why. It was started by a French person actually, but the Romeo comes from one of the early owners of the company, a guy named Nicola Romeo, who seriously has one of my all time favorite uh, mustaches of all time, and I think that <laughs> okay. I think that everyone should. Go and uh, look him up just to see this mustache. It's that good. I'm going to paste the link again for just for you, Alan, but you all should go. And these are going to be in These the will show all notes. be in the show notes, of course. But go look at this man's mustache. Funfact.fm. That is a quite a mustache. We've got like maybe two full inches tubular and there's a bit of a kind of like a wave going on yeah there's like no it's just like a giant like it looks like it's fake it looks like what you would wear on halloween for a mustache it's 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 incredible very but strong you would sneeze it off it's like too it's bristly. too much right people would be like come on that's not even that's not even plausible on your on your you know groucho marx costume but so the 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 logo for alfa romeo was was designed uh it, to incorporate Two things that are from the city of Milan, which is where Alfa Romeo is from, and it, it the, the the red half, the the, the cross looking thing, is from the uh, emblem of Milan, which is a red cross on a white background. So that's that explains that. That's not that crazy. Sure, I'm not super concerned about right. the non baby eating part. Not not crazy. the the <laughs> uh, The other side <laughs> is what I was really trying to find out about, and what I learned is that it is something called a bichone uh, or bichoni. And which is a non-venomous snake uh, eating a human child. And the uh, the child is meant to be either a Moor or a Saracen or an Ottoman Turk. And it, it was, yeah, and it was used as the emblem of the rulers of Milan who were called the Visconti in the 11th century. But it's so associated with uh, Milan and the later Sforza family that it's still used by like all kinds of organizations in Milan, including like the soccer team Inter Milan, who are extremely popular. But usually when they do it, they put like flowers or something in the snake's mouth, not a uh, baby and not a not yeah, a that seems like an improvement. Yeah, not a uh, not a North African or Middle Eastern baby. And uh, uh, my favorite part of the Wikipedia article on this is that it says in reference to another version where the flower rep- rep- replaces the child, it says in a version where a flower replaces the child, maybe due to possible interpretations as a racist symbol. And I'm like, maybe due to possible uh, interpretations. As, it's I love that it's like, it's, find, let's find out about this logo where a snake eats a baby. Yeah. Wait, it gets worse. Wait, yeah, exactly. The baby part is not even the worst part of this logo. Uh, and so now I'm just... It's a Turkish baby. Yeah, it's a, okay. it's a Turkish or Moorish or or whatever baby that's being eaten because yeah. they defeated the... You know, they took back uh, uh, Spain? I, I don't know. Italy? I don't know. But so so whenever you see Alfa Romeo on the road, just know that that is, in fact, a snake eating a Turkish baby. Yeah, or or really just a Muslim baby. Of a mu- some yeah, kind, a mu- some yeah. It's not always kind. a Turkish, just a Muslim baby of some kind, which is right. really just so offensive. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not sure I'm done with that. Yeah, no, I'm not at all down with that. <laughs> and I love how like some designer, because like if you look at older versions, if you like, which we'll also put in the show notes, this biscone uh, uh, snake that eats uh, Turkish babies. Right. Um, there's lots of variations of it, and like it's obviously a child that's getting eaten but if you look at the alfa romeo one there it seems clear to me that a designer has been tasked with like okay how can we make this ambiguously maybe the snake's tongue (laughs) yeah can we make this look somewhat less awful (laughs) like yeah can we it is sometimes a woman as well i noticed in some of the drawings but oh sure but yeah, uh, which, you know, I mean, that's not a huge shock, but like <laughs> awful, but not unfortunately not a huge shock. But like, yeah, it's just like, how do we make this look less like the evil, awful thing that it is? Because you, you could see it as fire or the snake's tongue or something. But if you look up close, get up to an Alfa Romeo next time you see one. That is a uh, it's not cool. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I know that coat of arms, there's a lot of coat of arms that have problems um, but that ranks pretty highly because it's not just like this is the historical coat of arms of Milan and it's been there for a thousand years. Like 
This is a car company that gets to pick its own logo. Right. I mean, most car companies, most businesses have changed their logos many times. And in fact, so has Alfa Romeo. <laughs> they, just, they just... It's just getting a little more tongueier over time. Exactly. They're sort of like babier. slow. I mean, this version of the logo was was announced in 2015. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we're talking, that's pretty recent. Was the 2014 one at least, like, like more upsetting than the current one? I don't know. I I, I need to find a, let's, let's see if I can quickly While find. While you're on that topic, I should plug a uh, very cool blog called Brand New. Oh, that is a great, this? yes, that's a great blog. Yes. So this is a um, on a site called Under Consideration, which is a branding blog, which I'm not really in the world of marketing at all, but um, I come across it occasionally because what they do is they highlight rebrands and new logos for um, companies that you might have heard of. And so if like, you know, Toyota came out with a new logo, they would like review that, right? And so you see often like the ones I really celebrate is like just a horrible logos where I'm like, oh God, I'm glad I'll never have to see the dollar rent a car logo anymore because it's like this horrible 80s pastiche or whatever. Not that I'm a logo snob, but I have I have my limits. Stop being so snobby, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so bad that uh some of the logos on there. But So the, I will say the Alfa Romeo logo from uh 1972 to 20. 20- 14 is it is it is worse i would say that it is more obvious that the there is a person in the snake's mouth uh it, it was much worse in like the 60s everything was though uh and and the 1945 one is whole wow bad um here i will once again share with you uh what i have found so that we we may both be uh looking at the same uh image and look at the 1945 one in particular Oh, no. (laughs) Like, they really leaned in on that year. Well, I feel (laughs) this is the best podcast content, talking about something. that Well, the listeners are looking at it. It's in the show notes. They're looking. Please, yeah. Open the show notes. I think that what the 1945 logo might have been like, you know what? Maybe if we make the baby writhe enough that it maybe arguably look like fire coming out of the the snake's mouth. (laughs) But fire doesn't usually have arms and a head. Well, but sometimes it randomly might, mm. you know. Do you see, by the way, do you see the uh, pre-1945 ones have like the rope? Uh, oh. That was a symbol of the Italian monarchy. So they got rid of okay. that post-monarchy, which I think makes sense. The The 2015 one is actually a pretty nice redo. They got rid of the rope. That was no longer relevant. That was exactly. <laughs> but, the, but the Muslim baby being eaten. Kept the racist baby eating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. So, no. yeah, you know. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we can't, this is why we can't. Yeah. This is why we can't have nice things, Alan. Nah, no more Alfa Romeos. <laughs> All right, it's my turn for a fun fact. Yeah. This is one that I learned recently. So, if your dishwasher, Ooh, if you have a dishwasher, I do. If you find your dishwasher is n- is not cleaning dishes very well, the problem might actually not be the dishwasher, but the garburetor. Okay, what is a garburetor? Uh, a garburetor is a. Uh, maybe you know it as a garbage disposal. I do know it. Like as it's a, a thing, I do know it. It's as like a thing in the sink yes, that you put shreds food everything. into, and then it treads it. Yeah. You call it a garburator? Is that a Canadian thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess. Oh, yes. Urban Dictionary says garburator, a Canadian word that involves a garbage okay. disposal through your kitchen sink. <laughs> I've always been very, most of the Canadianisms for things is like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, we have our own word, and like, you know, it's equally true. But to me, the term garbage disposal, oh, like the idea of disposing of garbage in your sink, like to me, a garburetor is not just for garbage, it's for specifically food. Like, well, how does, well, hold on, how does it being called a garburetor make it more clear that it's for food? Well, it makes it less. I don't want garbage in my sink. Garbage is the gar part of garburetor. I don't even know what the berater part is, but I know the gar part is garbage. <laughs> I don't. I don't like. I don't. Is it garbage plus carburetor? What? What is the berater part? It's like carburetor. Like you know, it like it like chews it up. I don't know. It feels right to me. I feel what? like this is dispensable. You know, like the like an incinerator. Like an incinerator. Oh, okay. It, so it's an incinerator. But wouldn't that be a garcerator? Garcerator, not a garburator. Because oh, I guess it's the garb from garbage. Garb from garbage. Okay, <laughs> but specifically food-related garbage. You don't put you don't put like bad stuff. Wait, in well, your, hold on. What's anyway? bad stuff? You don't put metal in there. That would be bad. 
No. Well, to me, like, well, also, it, this is worse over time, I think, as we, like, have this multi-stream waste. Like, garbage now is, like, almost all plastic. That is that is very true, yeah. Yeah. You, you wouldn't put that in there, though. No, you would only it's for put food. compost down there. It's for compostable food. Right, it's for compostable. So if, instead of even called it a garbage disposal, if it was called a compost disposal, I'd be like, all right, I'm on board. I would have a compost disposal in my sink. But I don't want to, I want a garbage just put in plastic I don't know. By the way, on, bags and stuff in there. On Urban Dictionary, it offers me the chance to buy a mug that says Garburator on it, which I don't know why I would do, but it says get a Garburator mug for your coworker, Rihanna. Specifically? Yeah. <laughs> it's just shot in the dark and it's like one in a thousand people are like, oh my God, I do have a car- coworker, uh, coworker named Rihanna. Rihanna that loves Garburators. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure they sell a lot of those. <laughs> for sure. Uh, were you raised? So I, I was raised. Like even to this day, as a as a almost you know as a, as an you know a, an adult, I uh, I am I am very afraid to get anywhere near the uh, the garbage disposal. Like I will put food down there. I will only put anything in like a spoon or something in there if it's not running. I have to make sure I'm running water. I have to turn it on very briefly. Like I I am I think I have like a like a childhood fear of the garbage disposal. Yeah, you should be a little afraid of it. It's very dangerous. The- well, yeah, I mean, just like the, it's so gross, the idea of putting... Well, no, it would destroy your fingers. I'm actually... Someone was telling me that it's not like a spinning blade. It's more like uh, two plates that are like kind of uh, mesh. So it's not as bad as you think. But yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want your fingers in there. But the... It's not like a blender. Okay. Because like like these days, if you have like, um, like, a, like a table saw or something, it will detect yes. before your finger gets to it. It'll just stop. Yeah, the conductive. Yeah, they do not have that in, in the, the gar in the, in, the the, in the garbage disposal. I can't the get there. The, no, <laughs> can we meet at at compost disposal? No, <laughs> like, you could just keep saying garburetor, <laughs> and I won't say garburetor. So anyway, I'm, you're ruining my fact. Oh, I'm it sorry wasn't about the. It wasn't about the be it being a compost disposal. Oh. It's that if you have a dishwasher and a Oh, yeah, that's right. and a compost it's about the dishwasher. Then, you, then uh, normally what they do is the dishwasher will get hooked up so that it feeds into, not into the pipes when it's flushing your dishes, that it will actually feed into the garburetor. Really? And so if the garburetor is not getting run for very long, mm-hmm. like you're describing, a lot of people will be afraid of yeah. it and they'll just kind of go, and they'll just kind of do a little, they want to, who knows what will happen if you garburate too much yeah, it's dangerous it's dangerous right who knows what'll happen then then stuff will accumulate in there and it can get clogged or or whatever and then when your dishwasher empties into it it could actually not uh, get very much flow out of the dishwasher and so you can actually get backwash either from the garburetor or just stuff that isn't getting out of the dishwasher very well and so sometimes it's just like kind of junk in the dishwasher because it can't get through the compost disposal wow uh, so we i was troubleshooting our dishwasher because you're putting things in and taking them out and they're like oh, this is kind of still sort of weirdly gross uh-huh. and now it's been like dried on there yeah just not a pleasant experience and so uh it helps to to kind of do some uh garbage disposal maintenance to purge it you know you can put stuff in there like uh um various things like if you google there's a hundred different things they'll be like oh put chunks of ice down there i'm like well that sounds like a bad idea but WikiHow told me to. So you love WikiHow. WikiHow, WikiHow is, your, is awful. Is your like guidebook? <laughs> yeah, is that that's turned from last episode? Him saying don't listen to WikiHow, and now it's my it's my it's my Bible. Really. Yeah, yeah. I just do whatever. That's it tells you. Me. You and WikiHow, best friends forever. BFFs. Yeah. So yeah, if you're if you're finding your dishwasher is not fully just getting everything scrubbed off. Obviously, if there's chunks still on there of the original food, that's different. But if it's like you it washes but then there's kind of some film or it's not really that clean then uh check out uh, your clean your garbage disposal search WikiHow for how to clean a carburetor this is useful this is a great fact this is an actual fact yeah, yeah that is extremely valuable because i i know exactly what you're talking about you know where where your dishwasher is no longer no longer dishwashing as well it's a, when you're in a place in the world where you dishwash a dish and you unpack everything and then you, you realize that it's still kind of dirty, but then it's like, well, it's been dried on, so you don't want to just put it right back in the dishwasher because obviously it's not going to work a second time, so you put it on the counter, but then one way or another, it ends up back in the dishwasher and it gets dishwashed a second time and then dried a second time. That's one of those, like, I'm not adulting properly. I feel like I'm doing problems. a lot of, like, uh, pre-cleaning of my dishes, you know, just not, not like mm-hmm. a thorough cleaning, but I'll do like a... 
like a rinse or a scrub and stuff. And they say you don't need to do that anymore. And in fact, you shouldn't because it's more water efficient to just use the dishwasher. I'm wondering if they... well, the people who say that you shouldn't do that do not have my dishwasher. Yeah, or mine. But I th- I'm wondering if it's maybe it's a uh, it's a garbage disposal issue. Yeah, that might be part of it. I mean, the flow, like the spray flow is another thing. Mm. Another thing is that sometimes little food chunks will get stuck in the, you know, they have the spinning um, spray blades. I do. Yeah. Right. And so sometimes a little bit of food will get into the spray no! blade. And then just spray everywhere. Well, okay. That would actually be okay because then it would spray onto the oh. dishes and then into the garbage disposal yeah that would thank you you're very kind but which <laughs> into the garbage disposal <laughs> but what what was worse is if the food chunk is just kind of gets wedged in the spray hole um which is the technical term that's for the it. technical the term, spray yeah, hole i believe that's correct. yeah and then because with the water pressure will push the food chunk in into the spray hole and kind of clog it a little and so then it reduces the flow oh thus also making it less uh, uh effective it's not spraying as much wow okay. lower, lower spray flow right. so you you can actually detach the spinning um spray hole dispensing object and then you can get that all rinsed out and and get any gunk out of there and then you can get better uh better spray holes so i feel like we could just make this podcast about learning how to adult with alan pike and then (laughs) and then people would be like oh my god gosh thank you so much for teaching me how to do all of these valuable things (laughs) i i feel like before google like if i had grown up before google where i could have a problem and then it's just like I couldn't just be like, "Eh, dishwasher not working very well. What do? Then I would just be a terrible adult for decades. Yeah. Okay. I, so I have a confession to make. You're still not an adult. No, my confession is that I, earlier in this, while we were recording, I, I tried to multitask, which is a bad idea. You should know better than that. It's a bad idea. I need to be fully present with you and the show. And I apologize to myself mostly but also to you and to our listeners but i was briefly distracted and and it was because i was trying to put my credit card information into a purchase form to get a license key for a certain piece of software that i need that sounds really important right now (laughs) does that license key clean your dishwasher it it was like really needed to be done right like during the podcast like Mm -hmm. nothing needed to be done more during the podcast than that but I was, I have to, I want to, the reason I'm telling you this is because uh, I I was instantly taught the incredible mistake that I was making uh, because in order to get the license key, I had to put in my email address so they could send it to me and I mistyped my own email address. Yeah. That's a sign that maybe you should just wait until after the show. And, uh, <laughs> so now I don't have the license key. Yeah. So someone I wasted the money. Some random person is very excited. Exactly. He's very excited. Devin's has a license key to dishwashing software. So I feel like I need to apologize to you and I, I am, but I also think that I, I've already served my punishment. Is there anything to be done about that? How do you, how do you undo that? Uh, I think I need to email their support people and say, Hey, did you get, I, or maybe just buy it again. Luckily, it's not like a particularly expensive thing, but that's very wasteful. But on the other hand, I mean, I caused the problem myself. It never occurred to me as one of those. I mean, when do you always type your own? E- I feel like that's the one part you're, you know, people are pretty good at. Actually, that's something that we have struggled with on a couple, uh, I'm not supposed to, okay, band topic is programming. But if I had programmed um, an app where you could put in your email address, like if they do it wrong, then things go weird. Oh, interesting. Like, cause you, it's like, oh, create an account. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, uh, Rx spelled wrong, uh, at gmail.com. And then you create your account and you put in your password and you log in and blah, 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 blah. Everything's fine. And then at some point it's like, oh, I need to email this person for a reason. And then you, or like there's a problem or they need to, they forgot their password, but then their email is never, never confirmed. And so it's very easy when you're building a new thing to be like, oh, well, you know, email confirmations are not that important. And then suddenly they are important and you have no idea who anyone is. Like, especially if you use like Facebook login or something and right. then Facebook login bans you because reasons. Reasons. Things get bad. Yeah. Hopefully if I email them and say, hey, I, I sent it to this wrong address and you can see that that is a typo of the address that I am currently emailing you from, please let me have my license key. But in some ways, I think I should just have to buy it again because I for as penance. I think you deserve to have to buy it again. Don't you think? Like, I really need to not do that. I, I was distracted. It was very early. And I, I, I am again, I'm very sorry. What was the software? Uh, I, I don't I don't want to say. Oh no, it's that embarrassing. No, no, I, I'll say it's a it's a, it's software for um, 
downloading videos uh, from YouTube. Oh, sketchy. It's not sketchy. Is it, it's, is it not sketchy? I don't think that's sketchy. They're, I mean, they're videos that you're allowed to download. They're not like, it's not like doing anything crazy. Oh, that's that special part of YouTube where you have the right to download the videos. I'm trying to download the, uh, <laughs> trying to archive some content from Filmstruck because it's going uh, away. Okay, okay. All right, Filmstruck is going away. I'm very sad about that. I've done a few that I've installed one of those various sketchy. YouTube. This is not a sketchy one. This is not a sketchy one. You find a non-sketchy yeah. one. Anytime I've looked, I've found sketchy ones. And then I've I've gotten those. And the the reason is often because something is posted that's relevant to me, like part of my work or whatever. And it's like, oh, it'd be good to have this video of a talk I gave or something. You just want to make sure that you're not going to lose it, that it, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. some of those like old YouTube videos, like there was a <laughs> the YouTube video about the GoldenEye 007, the James Bond game for N64, where there's that bug where if you like tweaked the the cartridge just a little bit, that the whole game would f- flip out. Have you seen that? No, but that sounds very interesting. It's great. It's so very briefly, if you p- are playing GoldenEye 64 and then you you tilt the the cartridge in the N64 just a little bit, and then one of the pins at the very edge of the cartridge will just sort of lose contact with the game console, but the rest of it all is touching fine. Mm. And that pin somehow governs the orientation of the people in the game. And so when you do that, the if you do it just right, then the game keeps running fine, except every single person in the game is just randomly flipping and rotating at like <laughs> maximum speed. And it's at just... But everything else is normal. And so like, you know, people are just talking and moving around or whatever, uh, but they're just like flailing wildly. Uh, and it's... It's just really, it just makes me so happy. And so there's a video, which we'll put in the show notes, um, titled, I believe, Gets Down, because it's like 15 years old on one of the original YouTube videos of somebody who has paired this effect with some awesome uh, Japanese music, uh, dance music about getting down, um, which is what the characters are doing. But then for like 10 years, YouTube had censored the the music. um, And so they ruined it. Oh, yeah. For copyright reasons, right? And if I had just downloaded it... You could have been listening to it this whole time. And I would have. At least, like, it's one of those ones you go back to at least, like, once a year. I mean, we'll have to have a longer conversation on some other show about, you know, media ownership and availability and accessibility and things like that. I think we probably don't have time for that this time around. But, uh, but yeah, I find that topic very interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you have an emotional connection to certain things that mean something to you, and you have no legal right to... Yeah, your emotions don't matter ...be able at all. to watch or hear those things again, but you feel like you have a right. Right, you feel like you should have a right. Yeah, especially when they are no longer available to you. Like, if you could have... If I could have paid to watch that, I would have felt bad, like, pirating or ripping it or whatever. But if it's like, oh, you have to pay $5 to watch this thing then I probably just wouldn't have done it. But if it's like, oh, you have to break the law to do it, oh, well. But you wouldn't feel bad now that you couldn't watch it because you'd be like, well, I could have bought it and I didn't. Yeah. But it's like, what the heck? Like, why Why is this not available to me? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, people keep telling me I need to watch... Um, well, I actually haven't seen, I think, any of the Miyazaki films. Okay, well, that's criminal and we need to change that. It's criminal and we need to change that. Um, but And then I sort of was digging around and, and came to understand part of why is that apparently there's some rights issue where you the people who own the rights to uh, the, the movies are not allowing them to be streamed or digitally sold in any way because you can only get them like on DVD. Is that actually true? Uh, apparently, occasionally there'll be like one or two of them that'll be on. Like I think Spirited Away is that a Miyazaki? Yes. Yeah. It's me. So Spirited Away, I think, is. But like the older, like the one I want to watch is My Neighbor Totoro because yeah, it came up so cute as like one of the best like movies to watch with a little with a young kid. Yes. And so Ellie's two, and then it's like, oh, that would be great because I want. I'm curious to see some of these movies, and they're like, oh yeah, it's good. It's not even really scary, and it's kind of sweet. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's watch it. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll, that's fine. I'll just like pay for it or get it in one of the various many legitimate no no there's no there's no legitimate way to get it so i was like well i guess i'm like now installing torrent software for the first time in however many years to uh get this thing that i would have been perfectly happy to pay for but well we we should discuss that offline but uh yeah it looks like you're right there's uh there's no streaming service that is currently offering it there's just the uh the blu-ray yeah, which is like, I'm not going to buy a physical, I don't want a physical blue, I don't want a thing and a rip in the thing. <laughs> it's a hole. Well, yeah, we can 
can <laughs> that could be a topic. Yeah, that multiple mind great minds can disagree. Do you have any Blu-rays? Even, <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Who would own a Blu-ray? Yeah. Uh yeah, no. I yes. Well, I'll I'm gonna leave I'll leave you with this story that is unrelated. Uh but it, you made me think of it when you're talking about adulting and the wiki and whatnot. So um so I uh, am fortunate enough that at my job the I can get into my office with just my phone. Oh wow. Yeah. It's very cool. When I worked at Apple I had like seven different steps to get into my office. It was like one physical key to get into the building, a different physical key to get into the hallway, a fob to get into the kitchen, the same fob but with a different access. It was like I have I've uh, been in yeah, I've been yeah. in that scenario. But in this company I can just get in with just my phone. Oh. And I also am fortunate enough to be in the situation where I can drive my car with just my phone. Hmm. It's also the key to my car. And it occurred to me that if I could also unlock my house with my phone, uh, then I would not need to carry any keys anymore. Right. Which sounded it is appealing. very appealing to me. Yeah. So I, I did some research on the internet, as one does. We've discussed this. Uh, and I came across... And you went on WikiHow. <laughs> I went on... I did not go on WikiHow, but I found this this lock. I don't. I won't even say which one. And uh, and I bought this this lock. But what was important is that I we do not own our house. We, we are renters. And so I needed a lock that would retrofit on an existing deadbolt, uh, but would allow me to control that with my, with my phone. Mm-hmm. So I, I ordered this lock and it arrived and I was very excited and it seemed fairly simple. You just like took off one half of the deadbolt. It's actually pretty cool because I learned how a deadbolt works, which I did not know. Uh, and it is very simple and kind of uh, like disturbingly simple, actually. But um, but the idea behind this smart lock was that you would take off one half of it and there's like supposed to be this like metal piece sticking out that the half that you turn connects to so that it can turn. And then instead you put an adapter on it from the smart lock people. And then you put the smart lock on there and then it will, when you do the phone thing, it will just turn the same thing as though you were turning the deadbolt. And in fact, you can still physically turn it if you want to. I was like, okay, great. And so I, I took off the faceplate for my deadbolt and discovered that the particular deadbolt that is a, a, installed in my door does not have a piece of metal sticking out from the uh, lock side, it has a piece of metal sticking in from the turny side. Mm-hmm. And you didn't notice this until you'd already gone to. Well, it. I didn't. I didn't think to open the dead the deadbolt. I didn't know how deadbolts work. Oh, this is on the inside of the lock. So on the inside, you couldn't tell. Hmm. So now I'm looking at this, and I'm very sad. Uh, and then I think to myself, what would my grandfather have done, who was famously uh, good at sort of jury rigging things and and solving problems? Uh, and and so I went and got some like some straws and some toothpicks from the kitchen. And I built like a little replacement metal piece for this metal piece that was supposed to be there. Yeah. And, and they generally have say straws and toothpicks <laughs> are good for security well, I wasn't, operations that are going to happen like multiple times a day. Sure. For, for but so time, I, I yeah. did that and I installed it and it worked. And I was, uh, I was so proud of myself and I was also <laughs> very happy that I now no longer need to take a key and I really leaned in on this idea. And so mm-hmm. my, my, my wife, my lovable, my loving and wonderful wife, I'd combine those into lovable, which she is also lovable. My, my wonderful wife, she kept keys on her person. Cause I was like, well, what if we, you know, in an emergency, whatever, whatever, but I didn't take any keys with me and I went off to work and this, this right, but she was aware that toothpicks, were she knew, she, together knew. she thought I was a bit, yeah, she was like, I don't, we'll see. But we, you know, it was like, oh, well, we can still get in the back door whatever, whatever. So she, so she does this and I, for a few days, Alan, I'm telling you, my life was glorious. I'm sure it was amazing. It was amazing. This is such a, like, I don't know what's past first world problem, but like it was, whatever that is, it was, it was so nice. I had no, I had not a care in the world. And, uh, and then on one fateful night, a, a very cold night for, uh, for Oakland, uh, not cold for Vancouver, but a very cold night for here. And I was surely not dressed although as you know from our personal friendship I, that doesn't really matter to me it was 70 degrees you were shivering <laughs> but so i <laughs> but so i came home on a night where she was out for hours and i was very hungry and i went to go open the door and i did the bloopity bloops and it worked it connected it bloopity blooped but the door did not unlock mm, you heard like a crunching sound maybe <laughs> It just did. No, it was worse than that because it did nothing. It was like a nose. It was just like boop, beep, boop, and I was like, "Oh, okay," but this isn't open. So I sat on my porch for like hours. I ordered food. I had food delivered to the porch, but they didn't. Ah. But I had forgotten that I had set a preference on my food ordering app 
uh, not to deliver silverware because I wanted to, uh, I have silverware, <laughs> I want to spare the planet. Being eco-friendly. So the food arrives, no way to eat it. <laughs> and it was not, it was not finger friendly food. You got some stew. I basically, I, I think I ordered Indian, Indian food. I think I ordered some curry. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 I sat on the porch for several hours before my wonderful wife came home and and unlocked the door. And I was I was cold, but mostly I was just so angry with myself. <laughs> and I immediately just dismantled this and put the regular damn lock. So how many days back on? How many days in between you spent hundreds of dollars uh, and however much time? Uh, getting this lock set up and then when you were stranded on your porch for hours i mean it was at most a week at most a week at most at absolute most and you don't want to blame the particular smart lock company but it was august wasn't it, it i don't i'm not, i can't yeah <laughs> i can neither confirm nor totally confirm that uh that suggestion yes of course it was it, it, was, it was definitely august yes oh man I still have the lock. It's sitting next to me, taunting me. Yeah. The number of people that I know that have August smart locks that are not currently installed in their homes <laughs> is a little high for my I, th- I think that's their main business. It's like a gym membership. Yeah. I mean, it's aspirational. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I aspire to only have to have my phone in order to get in and out of my home. What a wonderful world that could be. I aspire to have cutlery when I eat oh my, my curry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That'd be great. 